Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Web3Ed Podcast. On this week's episode, we have my buddy, Brendan. We are both alumni of John Hopkins University and met on Discord. Brendan's quite interesting as he has worked closely with Secret Chain and runs his own validator node. It is called Whisper Node, and he talks all about how he got into running a node, how he learned about Secret Chain, and what makes them special in the world of blockchain. You're not going to want to miss this episode. So without further ado, let's get started. But first, a word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by BAF. BAF stands for the Blockchain Acceleration Foundation, and they are a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to accelerating the development and adoption of Web3. BAF hosts networking and educational meetups and supports blockchain clubs at universities worldwide. BAF's sponsors and supporters include NIR and the Algorand Foundation, who help BAF launch more educational activities. To learn more, follow the Blockchain Acceleration Foundation on Twitter. Are you sick of expensive classes that don't help you in today's competitive work environment? Educoin was too. So we built a decentralized learning management system that allows any teacher to host an open access industry-sponsored class. If you're a teacher and want to learn more about how you can build the class of the future, or a student looking to grow your career, visit educoin.store to see how they are helping students, teachers, and employers connect to make a more healthy secondary education ecosystem. All right, here for another episode of the Web3Ed podcast, we have Brendan from The Secret Agency, aka Secret Chain. Uh, me and him are both actually JHU alums, so happy to have him on the show and finally get a conversation in. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Jake. Uh, pleasure to be here. I know we were kind of working this schedule out a little bit here, and good to see another Blue Jay in the uh, blockchain space. Nice. So, uh, you know, let's introduce the world to you, Brendan. You know, we have mostly listeners uh, from different colleges here that are part of the Blockchain Acceleration Foundation. So I'm just curious, folks, for Web3. So tell me a little about yourself, your journey into the space, and kind of what you've been up to in the last couple of years. Sure. Yeah. Um, so after graduation from Hopkins, um, I got into, I actually was working for the Navy as a contracting officer doing um, contracts for like ships and radar systems and stuff like that. Um, and I had a developer friend at the time back in 2016 who was um, being paid in Ethereum and starting to explore the blockchain space back in 2016. And uh, he was explaining this concept to me of programmable money and, you know, smart contracts. And it just blew my mind at the time. You know, this is this is way before a lot of the projects we have now, way before the ICO craze and all that stuff. Um, and I just got into the space and started devouring all the content I could. You know, I read like hundreds of white papers probably back in 2016, 2017. And then the ICO craze happened, um, got involved with a few of the ICO projects kind of as a community member, just volunteering my time. And, you know, my, my journey has evolved ever since then into being a validator for Secret Network, um, putting together their community uh, program. We call them the secret agents. That's where the, the secret agency thing comes in. And uh, yeah, so that, that's how I got into the space. Very cool story. So what brought you into the secret ecosystem compared to some of the other protocols that are out there? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good point. Um, so I had previously been helping out before Secret Network became Secret Network. 
Um, it was actually called Enigma. And they were one of the big ICOs back in 2017. I think they raised like 45 million, which was one of the bigger ones at the time. Um, there was a lot of hype behind the project. The team is really strong. Um, you know, the developers and, and a lot of the business people um, were the team was formed at MIT, you know, it had, it had good pedigree. Um, and the idea was just so novel that, um, I, I really just believed in that project being Enigma and continued getting involved with them and, until they became secret network. And then I had the opportunity to set up a validator and, and jumped on that. Gotcha. So, you know, there's a few things I want to dissect there, but the first and foremost, I'm just going to cut to the chase. A lot of people, when they hear blockchain, the definition is a public ledger, right? That That's kind of hand and foot with thinking about blockchain technology. And that's why it's it's great, right? Is anyone can validate that this is a true public record. Everything on here kind of checks out. And that's the security and also the consensus piece of it. So with Secret, I, it sounds to me that, or at least through their website and what you've discussed, that there is a customization to what is public. How is that possible on a blockchain and why would you want that on a blockchain network? Yeah, that's that's a good place to start. And it kind of brings in this whole idea. I, I always start with like the whole idea of web two versus web three. And that's kind of where I start things. Um, and the idea of, of a secure computing platform. Um, the, the ideal kind of internet, right, is one where a bunch of users are able to trust a server. You know, in the ideal world, there's this like trusted server and everyone provides all their information and the server provides some sort of service to them, gives them back, you know, a, a computation, whatever it may be, um, or a transaction or gives them some information and does so in a way where it doesn't leak that information to everyone else. So there's, there's two things to unpack there. Um, one is that it, it performs the right function, right? Like it takes the inputs and then has the correct output to the user, um, and the and that's called correctness. Essentially, that's like um, I'm, I'm trying to think of an example of, of correctness, but you know, I, I perform a web search, and that that server gives me back the right information. And blockchain is very good at solving for the correctness problem, like you said, because um, this decentralized network of computers, validators, et cetera, machines are all computing the same inputs because everything's public. They're all able to do the same computation on that. They can verify with each other that, you know, the result matches up and then they can give that back to the user. That's a good thing, you know, public ledger. But what blockchains are really bad at is the, the, um, the privacy piece of that. Um, you don't want all of your data leaked to all of the other users of the server. And that's kind of where this, this public um, versus private blockchain idea comes into play. You're really limited in the types of applications you can build on a public ledger because you don't want all of the other users seeing all your data. Um, and, you know, I can go further and, and give some examples of, of applications where you might want to hide some of that data. 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that might help contextualize it a little bit. I have some other questions that I want to get deeper into what you just said, but let's start with it just on secret chain or on secret protocol. Um, what is the most popular application or use case you've seen so far or something that's unique to it because of the security or this uh, secrecy feature? Yeah. Um, so, you know, a lot of the ideas are theoretical at this point and just in general in the blockchain space, as we know. Um, I think the one that's most interesting uh, personally is like something like private voting. So there's a big push in the blockchain space for um, DAOs to be set up, decentralized autonomous organizations, right? So you have an organization that may be doing some function like say you're investing with a bunch of friends and you have a pool of money and you want to invest that money in different projects and perform various governance, um, you know, transactions, you want to vote on things for this DAO, what projects to invest in, how to allocate budget, you know, payroll, whatever it may be, but you might not want all of that voting that's occurring to be public to everyone. Um, you know, that could, that could result in people trying to buy votes, you know, influence votes, et cetera. And it causes a lot of problems. So private voting is a huge one to me, you know, in America, when we go to the, the booth to, to vote, you know, all of America doesn't know who we voted for, for president. And why should it be kind of any different in web three? We've, we've kind of just accepted that that's the way it is. You know, everything's public and, and we're okay with that. But there's definitely use cases like voting where we want things to be private. Gotcha. And, you know, as far as someone who's uh, building on this ecosystem, I guess, have you seen a lot of uh, skepticism? Because I think one of the big concerns with blockchain technology is that it'll be used to money launder or commit fraud, right? Because it's it's harder to trace or harder to, to shut down transactions, right? Even though some in some cases, that's not really true, right? Because US money, fiat money, cash can kind of disappear. A token really can't. It's going to be on chain. But... Let's go with that assumption that there are fraud concerns and there has been, you know, dark use cases, ports, gramblers, whatever. Uh, have you heard of that with secret chain or is that a concern that people get when they, they talk to your community or before investing in your token? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a concern. Um, and the starting point to address that is, again, thinking about like transactional privacy, which is kind of what we're talking about here, of person A sending money to person B. Um, privately. That's that's one use case of secret network and, and probably the most simple use case for that matter. Um, what we really are is, is a privacy platform to build decentralized applications. So it goes far beyond just sending money from person A to person B. You know, it could be a decentralized ride sharing app like Uber, where it's connecting drivers directly to riders and you want to hide the, um, the location information because you wouldn't want everyone that's using that application to know your home address and your transaction history to, together, right? Like that's a major security breach. Um, but as far as the transactional use case does go, say that we could stop people from using it in that way but the network does allow for what we call viewing keys um, and i think that's evolved a little bit actually to something called permits 
where you can give keys to your transaction history on these private smart contracts to regulators or you know trusted parties that that need to see your transaction history so for example you know doing taxes right i can go and use private trading like shade swap that's going to be launching soon i can go and do private transactions but i can still give an auditor my viewing keys so they can see my transaction history um and you know that's the way we approach regulation but again we can't stop people necessarily from using it in a malicious way so i'm going to talk one more point to to this uh, skepticism maybe around having a secret protocol or a secret chain and it's around zk uh, zero, zero knowledge proofs uh, for those that have listened to previous podcasts i had my buddy rohit on uh, he talked about zcash and we talked a little bit about this idea that a zero knowledge proof is essentially locally you do a math problem on your machine and you show that to the blockchain this is a really dumbed down version of the answer but for layman's terms you do a math problem on your computer you show it to the blockchain and it allows you to transact with the blockchain without actually showing the data to it now i was looking at secret network earlier today and you had a very fascinating blog about why zk rollups are limited and what they could do you know in a very layman's way you don't have to go into the the math piece of this or cryptography piece of it but why is what you do or your technology does different than what polygon does for example or zcash does for example with these zero knowledge proofs which are a, a way to kind of transact uh in, in a low trust way or in more private ways yeah so okay there's a lot to unpack there and i'm definitely not a cryptography expert but uh there is a great a great blog post out on this exact topic, uh, and we can link it to the readers after. But essentially, um, ZKs are kind of limited in their scope of usability for privacy. Um, it's kind of become this really hype term, and everyone thinks it's going to solve for all you know, privacy problems on blockchain. But in reality, it, it only has a limited use case. And part of that deals with because it has to be done, as you said, offline and then sent to the blockchain. So if you're thinking about it that way, um, you are trusting a third, you're trusting a centralized party performing that um, computation off chain in a way. Um, ZKs use something like a sequencer, which is like the two users send their information to this trusted sequencer. It does the problem off chain and then sends that to the chain. <laughs> but you're still you're still trusting the sequencer, just like you were trusting, you know, the um, centralized servers at Google or Facebook or or whatever it is with your data. So. You know that's that's kind of the the first problem. Um, the other is that it it's not necessarily dealing with generalizable secure computation. And you think of something like an auction, where there's multiple users that are submitting bids, and you don't want the users to see the bids from the other users. Um, they would have to share all that data off chain to do the cryptographic proofs. And again, they would lose all the privacy of their bids by sharing that data. 
Yeah, so that's fascinating. So, you know, if I was to kind of summarize what you just said, would it be that instead of, you know, on a ZK or a zero knowledge proof, there's still an earnest of trust on the synthesizer, the local party to report, where with secret chain, there's none of that localized trust. Everything's done on chain for for the the transactions or for the the zero knowledge piece of it. Is that kind of how to to understand it? Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. So I'm going to pivot a little bit. I think we talked a little bit, uh, unless there's something else you wanted to touch about secret, you can go into that. But my next question is, you know, tell me about being a validator. I think that there's this whole uh, world of becoming validators or nodes and staking, and it's extremely niche for most people, right? Like of the 8% of the world that has a crypto wallet, I would say maybe less than 10% of them are staking or validating. So can you help differentiate, you know, what is validating, why validate, and how it's different from just buying secret tokens on chain or, or from an exchange? Oh, boy. Sure. So, so um, you know, where where we start with validating is essentially, you know, the difference. I don't know if you've talked about it before on the podcast, but proof of work versus proof of stake. Um, so I don't know if you want me to start there or maybe start a little bit. No, yeah, go into it. Which, which one is, is secret? Uh, is a proof of work or are they proof of stake? Yeah, so um, secret network is a proof of stake network. And that's essentially evolved from this proof of work model, which was you know used for um, Bitcoin, where the transactions are verified uh, on the chain and, and added to the blockchain using computational power, right? Like these servers are using increasing amounts of computing power to do these really complex math problems, essentially, uh, to compete with one another to propose the next block to the chain. Um, And I won't go too much into the exact definition, trying to keep it very high level. Um, But you want to think about using computing power as the security model. In order for someone to attack the Bitcoin network, for example, and, and obtain, they would need to obtain 51% of the computing power, which, you know, in this day and age where the network has evolved over the years would be very, very expensive, you know, so cost prohibitive that there's probably no party in the world that could do it. You know, you could make the argument that some governments could do it, um, but that's not likely. Um, but, you know, you're having the problem of, of, energy waste and computing power, ever increasing computing power, right? And, you know, within this day and age where we're trying to do more things responsibly, um, energy consumption becomes a huge factor. So this has led to kind of the evolution where you're using proof of stake as your security model versus proof of work, which relies on computing power. And the way proof of stake works is essentially... um, the community, the the owners of these tokens in the network, um, they stake them with the validators on the chain. That stake represents voting power to make changes on the network, to propose blocks, etc. And your attack vector in proof of stake then, instead of someone going out and buying a ton of computing power, they would have to accumulate enough voting power to attack the network, which would come in the form of buying up, you know, that many tokens and then spinning up a validator. So the bigger, you know, 
your network is, the higher market cap it has, the safer it is, theoretically. Gotcha. So right now, if I went on Secret Chain, I could see, you know, how many validators they are, you being one of them. And these validators could be people, they could be, you know, companies that run many validators, and they all kind of act as governing bodies for the for the the ecosystem for the protocol. Is that correct? Yep, exactly. Um, they they you're essentially when you are staking with a validator, you are delegating your voting rights uh, to that validator. Um, there, there's a slight difference there in in delegated proof of stake versus true um, pure proof of stake. Um, in one of them, you can override your validator's vote, and that is the case with secret network. So I can vote on behalf of my delegators as a validator, but they can always go to their wallet and do that transaction themselves, which would override the vote I've cast for them, essentially. Gotcha. So basically, if I was to go now and buy some token, some secret token, and so now I got, let's say, 100 bucks worth of secret token in my wallet, and I'm like, you know, it's it's nice that I got this 100 bucks, and maybe it'll go up, maybe it'll go down. It's, you know, it's an investment. But, you know, I, I want to earn some interest on this. I now can give you, the validator, my $100 uh, in tokens, kind of like a savings account and stake it with you. And you'll pay me some level of interest. Is, is that essentially how this is working? Just to, to be clear. Yeah. So so in proof of stake networks, um, the validators are incentivized to run the, the hardware for the network, to run the actual computers that compose the network. They're incentivized to do so by earning inflationary block rewards. So um, every essentially every time a block is created, additional tokens are created um, depending on the parameters of, of the chain. And some of the inflation is going to validators and or stakers. Um, what is usually the case here is, you know, if there's, you know, 20% inflation, for example, you would earn 20% inflation on your tokens staked with the validator minus a 5% fee that the validator is going to take out of that. Gotcha. And you as a validator, you're basically constantly checking the accuracy of the blockchain. You're keeping it up and running, essentially, kind of like a, a server. You're, you're a piece of this decentralized server. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you're running, you're running hardware and data centers around the world, you know, making sure everything is completely disaster proof. For example, at Whispernode, where, where I run my validator, you know, we operate in data centers in multiple countries, multiple cities within the same country. You know, we have tons of backup servers. So if one goes down, you know, we can easily switch over to a new server. There's constant updates for every single network that we validate on. There's actually quite a bit of um, technical work involved in that. Gotcha. So explain this idea of being part of a, a node. So we're getting to the third uh, vocabulary word of the day. We, we went through stake. He went through validator. Yeah, so let's get into node. So what is being part of a node meet in layman's terms? So I, I guess you can you can use the word node and validator pretty interchangeably here, um, but essentially a node and or validator, which whichever you want to use in terms of terminology, it just means you're one um, one machine essentially on one of these decentralized networks. 
And, you know, that network consists of hundreds or in some cases, thousands um, of machines around the world. So it sounds to me that, you know, you could run a node on your own, right? You could, I guess, kind of just have a bunch of computers in your house and, you know, be earning free money, essentially, as long as the token is going up or you're correctly validating. So why join a node or why create a node? What's the advantage of that? Yeah, I mean, essentially that is correct. You're by running a node or a validator, you're helping to decentralize the network, you know, make it more secure. And by doing that, you're earning a portion of the block rewards and getting incentivized to do so. Um, you you do in proof of stake networks run into some difficulty because a lot of the networks have a limited um availability of slots for nodes and validators as they kind of scale up and those slots are basically allocated to those with um, more delegations or, or more tokens so you know you would have to potentially buy a certain number of tokens or have you know friends and 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 or just you know internet anons um, delegating tokens to your validator. So, you know, there's there's an element of business savviness and, and marketing and kind of, um, you know, providing services and value that you can get recognition and, and become a trusted party for people to delegate with. And do you just validate for secret or do you do other protocols as well? Yeah, so um, WhisperNode started validating just on Secret Network. And then as I became more familiar with, you know, the whole validating process and, and learning the ropes and, and technical, you know, details necessary to run a validator, um, slowly expanded into more networks in the Cosmos ecosystem. I then brought additional people onto the team. And now we're on 20 plus networks, I believe, in the Cosmos ecosystem primarily. And we also run a lot of RPC endpoints for a lot of EVM chains like Ethereum, Avalanche, um, Moonbeam, and um, a, cu- a couple of the other EVM chains that are out there as well. Wow. So can anyone join WhisperNode? Like if I wanted to, could I buy a couple of you know powerful processors and join the node? Or is there kind of an application process or how does that work? So it is. It is a private um, company. There, there. It's not necessarily like a mining pool where you can just buy your own, um, you know, hardware and then and then join the pool. It's it's more of like a private operation. It's just myself and two others at this point in time. Um, we're definitely always looking for people to join the team, especially you know, young, hungry students and things like that. There's a lot of opportunities for us to expand. You know, we need more sysadmins being on being on 20 plus networks with two people uh, and trying to handle all the technical upgrades and governance votes and, you know, just stay on top of every network. Um, we're absolutely looking for, for more people to join the team. If I wanted to learn about like how to be part of this ecosystem. Like there's a lot of jargon and there's a lot of technical terminology, you know, you would need to know to be part of these boats and make informed decisions and also run all this hardware. I guess, how do you get started or how did you get started? Yeah. I, the best way to get started in, in learning to be a validator, I would say is to get involved in some test nets. 
you know, in in a test net for a a network, you kind of have the free reign to spin up a validator. You can make mistakes. You know, you can um, screw up an upgrade and have your node go down without being penalized. Um, because on on live networks, right, there's an, there's disincentive mechanisms for poor performance. Um, if your validator goes down and misses a certain number of blocks you could lose you know, a percentage of the tokens you have staked to your validator, um, and that impacts your, you know, um, your reputation, and then you're unlikely to, to kind of get more delegators and, and um, have a good, a good standing with the chains you validate on, right? It, it's all about reputation and showing that you technically know what you're doing and not incurring those penalties. So if you're interested in learning, the best way to do it is spin up a testnet node, really just get in the docs, get a couple, you know, cheap servers from, from AWS if you can run them there, um, or, or there's all kinds of other um, cloud providers or bare metal server providers, and just dig into the docs and see if you can set up a testnet node, join the discords, you know, ask other validators. It's a really niche community and everyone's super friendly. You know, they're going to answer any questions you have about spinning up a validator. Awesome. So I got two rapid fire questions for you. One's about secret 2.0 and one's about token valuation. Which one do you want to have first? Oh, boy. Um, we'll do token valuation. <laughs> we'll, we'll try. We'll try. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, obviously you're part of uh, many networks, which is great. So I'm sure you've... Uh, Personally, do you have a pretty diversified portfolio, you'd say, of tokens that you own? Yeah, absolutely. We, we try to acquire like a minimum stake in each network we're in. So at least we have some skin in the game, as they like to call it. Gotcha. And, you know, I, you know, at least for, for Secret Chain and, and many others, the price is probably at the lowest it's been since 2020, if not, you know, 2017, 2018 for a lot of these, uh, if not worse. You know, as someone that's, you know, relies essentially on the, the price of the token as a business in many ways. How are you handling that? Or, you know, what's your view for the market in 2023? Yeah, it, the token prices being extremely volatile definitely does not make it easy on any business that depends on them. Um, it's very hard to do forecasting, uh, knowing what your revenue is going to be. You know, you're, you're fairly certain what your expenses are going to be, but your revenue is changing every single day, every single block with the price of these tokens, which then makes, you know, hiring people, HR, it makes everything very unpredictable. So what you, you know, what you're really banking on is the success of, of you know, a few of these networks really taking off and succeeding and the token price, um, you know, increasing at some point in time you know it was a very good business model in 2021 in in the bull market where it looked great you know and now it's it's more time to bunker down cut costs um and you know even even drop networks that you're not as confident in their ability to survive the bear market and focus on the ones that you think are are going to be around for the next bull market and that have novel, unique use cases like Secret Network. You know, there's there's no other chain out there doing generalized secure computation. It's it's been doing that for two years, and 
the tech just keeps getting better. So it's a network we really believe in. And, and there's a few others that we really believe in as well. And you're just banking on eventually the market turning around, you know, the bull market coming back and some of that money to flow back into these ecosystems, because when it does, the good ones are going to, they're going to see the, the bulk of that inflow of, of capital. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful for you. So last question, you know, one, one thing you just said is you talked about secret and how it's novel and has a, as an actual platform with real technology people are using for real use cases. Tell me a little bit about secret 2.0 and what that's kind of done to move the needle for your company or for that company. Sure. So um, I guess where we start with that is is the the tech behind Secret Network right now um, and this whole generalized secure computation. There's different privacy solutions out there right now. Like we, we talked about earlier on this podcast, ZKPs, right? And we talked about how there's a limited use case with some of these things because the more complex the... The, the computation, I use the word computation very loosely. It just means, you know, um, output. The, the more complex the output you're looking for, the harder it is to use some of these technologies because they're, they rely on cryptography. You know, they get very complex with the cryptography. The transactions get very slow, right? Like it could take hours to perform to perform, you know, one transaction in a, in a decentralized application. So there's different trade-offs you need to be keeping in mind when you're talking about a lot of, of these privacy solutions. You know, you have ZKPs, you have something uh, called multi-party computation, which is another one, um, fully homomorphic encryption, which is kind of seen as like the holy grail of cryptography. But a lot of these, these solutions are... Um, technically infeasible right now, or they're very expensive right now, or, you know, they're very hard to, to develop with. So Secret Network early on went with a solution called Trusted Execution Environments, which relies on secure hardware, kind of a, you can think about it like a black box. Um, and it's a specialized microchip inside of Intel processors um, whereby even the computer owner, or in this case, the validator, certain functions can be performed in that black box, and they're not even leaked to the person that is um, doing them on the local machine. So this was wow. kind of done as the first iteration of Secret Network. But looking forward, you know, what we've realized as a network is some of these other highly theoretical um, cryptographic solutions are going to become a reality at some point in time. And it's very likely in the next five years that things like fully homomorphic encryption and ZKPs are going to play a role in the space. So looking forward, we have to think about how to adapt as a network and how to implement these new cryptographic solutions into the solution that already exists. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You're a tag secret agency. And at first I was like, that's an interesting tag. But the more I hear about this technology, the more I'm like, wow, this is definitely something I could see the FBI using or someone in the government, you know, NSA using uh, for some pretty important transactions. So that's real neat. I didn't know you guys had a hardware component too. And I'll, I'll be on the lookout, um, maybe even to buy one. That, that sounds like a pretty neat tech. Yeah, and actually, you, it's funny you mentioned some of these government agencies. You know, we, we 
don't necessarily like to promote, um, you know, government use of, of the technology and especially in the blockchain space where, you know, a lot of these uh, cypher cypherpunks are kind of anti-establishment, right? But um, there are some unique projects actually that are uh, in process, progress right now with um, the Space Force. There was actually a developer who won a hackathon recently um, for sharing information across agencies privately. So like cryptographic keys and things like that could be shared agency to agency without revealing, um, you know, any private data. So that was a really cool use case that actually won a hackathon uh, in the Department of Defense. Wow, that's awesome. Well, you know, it's great to hear about this tech. I, I really want to learn more. I would love to have you uh, be someone that, you know, comes to BAF events and also is on EduCoin, you know, selfishly in teaching. So I think there's a lot to learn. And I think you speak well to the subject to make it you know accessible. This is a really complex tech, but it doesn't have to be. But yeah, thank you so much for your time today. Anything else you want to promote or, or talk about before I let you go? Uh, I think that pretty much covers it. I, I definitely just encourage all the students out there, everyone to just, you know, dive into the space, read white papers, find out what, you know, part of the space interests you because there's a lot of opportunity out there for non-developers as well. You know, I, I'm not a developer myself and there's definitely, you know, niches in the space that you can contribute to in the business space, validating, um, and something that that I love as well as is the secret agency tag is kind of our community program where we help people find their place in the network, and that includes developers and non-developers. So I would encourage the students to check out the secret agents, the secret agency, and you know all the different community programs that are out there with with other networks as well. Thank you so much for your time today, Brendan, and uh, it's always great to talk to another alum. So good luck with out there and have fun surfing in Costa Rica. Cool. Thanks, Jake. Yeah, have a good one. It's been a pleasure and hope to talk again soon. And there you have it, another episode of the Web3Ed podcast in the books. We have some awesome guests coming in the next couple weeks, so make sure to subscribe and listen. Keep building out there. And special thanks to Brendan, of course, for coming on and the Whisper Node. You can learn all about them in our show notes. Additionally, special thanks to Alodiba, who provide the soundtrack to this episode and other episodes. He's a good friend of mine, so give him a listen if you have a chance on Spotify. Thanks, and keep building. Thank you.